Hey, I'm Will, and this is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. Well, dear friends, this is a roundtable episode. What does that mean, Bench? Well, it means we are continuing the conversation from last week's episode. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, go back and listen to that. That will give you context for what we're talking about today. Jamie Freeman and a couple of friends that he's pulled in are going to go through that episode and kind of help to unpack it and flesh it out in different contexts. So this is your chance to go deeper and consider what these ideas might look like where you are. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast Roundtable Conversation. In last week's interview, Benj and Will interviewed Joe Saxton on life, ministry, leadership, and what it's like to be a woman in today's church. Today, I have with me Christine and Emma. And guys, welcome. Thank you. Hello. It's great to have you. Could you share with us a bit about your ministry or your life context, just so our listeners can understand a bit about who you are? Yeah, I am the pastor at Seaforth Baptist Church, which is a small community on the northern beaches in Sydney. And I've been there for just on four years now. Um, and I'm also a perpetual student. So I've been at Moreland College since 2008. And this could be my last year. I'm finishing off my doctorate. So that's what I do in my spare time. Woo-hoo. Amazing. Last Congratulations. Year. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about your doctorate? Of course I can. Yeah, so I'm looking at the book of Judges and how we can preach it, um, particularly the stories that feature women in it. And so to help me think about that, I've been uh, listening to feminist scholars and seeing what they bring into the reading or what they look at, which I might miss, um, which might inform my preaching. That's fantastic. Sounds really interesting. Emma, how about you? Uh, So I'm working at Baptist Youth Ministries as the State Youth Camp Internship Coordinator. Um, That's a role I've been in for about six months. Then also youth lead at a local church that I was previously student pastor at. And also um, when I'm not in ministry, I do social work. Fantastic. That's also ministry too, isn't it? Well, it is. That's how I see it. It's just in a secular context. That's fantastic. So guys, what stood out to you in Joe's interview? What didn't stand out is more the question. Um, So many things. I mean, she spoke so clearly into so many things that I could relate to that really resonated with me. Um, One thing that really particularly resonated with me was when she said, um, you elevate what you celebrate. Um, So talking about representation in leadership with, um, yeah, different people, different genders, just diversity in general, I think, if we want to... have a diverse church that actually reflects our diverse communities, I think it needs to be reflected in the leadership. It needs to be reflected on the stage, out the front. Um, If we want teaching that is diverse and complex and reflects all sorts of different things that can reach all sorts of people, both evangelistically, but also just when discipling people, we need to be 
representing those people in our teaching. We need to be having women teach. We need to be having people from different, um, like, ethnic backgrounds teach. We need diversity up the front. So that really resonated with me because I think that's a challenge for a lot of churches right now. That's something that a lot of churches, as much as they would love to be um, reflecting that, aren't there yet. And it's a journey that I think churches need to actually take on and not just say we want that, but actually go for it. Why do you think that's the case for so many churches? It's easier to stay how we are. It's easier to keep having the same people that aren't going to offend certain people. There's still, you know, certain people that would get offended by me being up the front preaching. There's still certain people that will be irritated because they're so used to being represented up the front that the second that they're not, they're like, well, what about me? But then what about me for every year of me being in church? Like it's important to have that diversity, but it's when you're in a state of privilege, it's like what you said, you can be lazy in privilege. It's you have the luxury of that when people from other um, backgrounds don't have that luxury and have to often fight for that if they want to see change, which is sad because it shouldn't also fall entirely on the people. That's great. What about you, Christine? Yeah, I think flowing on from that, um, Joe said you do what you believe and I think that's really true and I think I've become more convicted in that uh, often people will say one thing. So, um, you, you know, they might say I'm complementarian or I'm egalitarian uh, but their actions both ways don't always match. So sometimes complementarians might be uh, actually people who do elevate women more and maybe egalitarians don't. So I think Joe was gently challenging people to be consistent and maybe to examine, like, what do I actually do and does my actions reflect my beliefs? So I think that's a really helpful question. And I also appreciated... None of it was new what she said to me, but I think maybe it's helpful to have these conversations because she talks about how often stories can be invisible for some people. So sometimes um, maybe the struggles um, for women, particularly for women wanting to enter into a church context, I think most women know that, um, but maybe they can be hidden just like stories um, you know, for, about Indigenous people or uh, African-Americans sometimes that are known to that community but can be hidden from the wider church. And so I appreciated Joe um, trying to practice vulnerability and sharing some of those hidden stories um, that hopefully that sparks a wider discussion. How do you create or cultivate an environment in which we can unearth those hidden stories? What are your thoughts on that? Well, this is a good start, having a discussion like this. Um, and... I also think it's up to individuals as well to be committed to reading and listening to different voices. Um, so that's something I have been convicted of. So it's up to me then to make sure that I'm engaging um, in what I read, uh, making sure that I'm listening to whole different diverse voices. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah, well, because I think we need to be intentional about hearing other perspectives don't we and increasingly even on social media what we're seeing is these echo chambers where we are friends with or like certain pages and we're just hearing back to us our own 
perspectives. And so how do we move beyond that when we spend so much time online and um, even thinking about the commentaries that we buy? So who are the authors? Uh, are we listening to majority world authors? Are we listening to uh, women authors that bring a different perspective? Um, and so I, I agree, Christine, I think it is about being intentional around that because if we're not intentional, uh, then we're only what the world will feed back to us is our own perspective. And that means uh, a willingness to be uncomfortable. So that's a good test. If you are not feeling uncomfortable, then yes, you're probably reading or engaging with someone who's very similar to you. What about other things that stood out to you in Joe's interview? Um, I appreciated when she talked about, and this is more, I guess, in light of the last year with COVID, but the importance of lament. Um, and I think lament is a really important practice, a spiritual practice that hopefully maybe COVID has helped us to re-engage in. And even um, yeah, thinking about women, I think um, the practice of lament is a really important practice to engage in. Uh, as I said, I've been looking at the Book of Judges. So uh, if you know the Book of Judges, you know it has um, some of the most difficult stories in the Bible that feature women um, in really terrible situations. And one of the responses to those stories is telling those stories, not being afraid of those stories, but they allow this space then to lament. So a lot of those stories feature um, rape um, and death and domestic violence. And those issues are still kind of happening in our world today. But by telling those stories, um, they can potentially open up a space to reflect on um, similar situations today, but also to lament. Um, so in Judges 11, Jephthah's daughter uh, is sacrificed and she asks for two months to lament with her friends. And so um, people have said, this is a practice that we could take up, um, that God is found actually with those women in the end lamenting at what has happened to her, um, that this is a practice we can engage in. And I think grief is... And lament is actually quite ugly. And there's this part of us that want to be like a pretty church. That's a church that's joyous and celebrating. It has such strong faith that it's, you wouldn't worry about that stuff. But actually it's so biblical to lament. Like we look towards Hannah in the Bible and her story kicks off with just the deepest grief that she experiences of just what she's going through. And I think it's important to highlight, yeah, as you said, the stories in Judges, the stories of those women that actually are, grieving and lamenting and actually create space and I think also as a church it's so easy to want to just solve people's problems as well it's like if there's something that seems like a problem well let's pray about it and fix it instantly not just cry grieve actually just experience the emotions because when we if we actually want to face any of the problems of this world they're too big just to instantly fix they're too big just to um yeah, just to say, oh, just have a bit more faith. It's not about lack of faith. It's actually about just um, experiencing that grief and emotion that, I mean, Jesus did it alongside a whole lot of women. He grieved alongside women a couple of times, I think, in the Bible. So I think it's looking to those stories and looking at how can we be grieving alongside women, but all just anyone who's grieving, anyone that's lamenting. And lament brings it to God. So you bring it to God and part of the lament is crying out, to God to transform and to do something. And that's what we long for as Christians, isn't it? For God's kingdom to come. So we are we are praying for that and part of that is to acknowledge we're not there yet. So lament builds faith, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 And you guys both touched on a few barriers to lament 
uh, we talked about um, obviously this projected um, sense of joy and we have it all together. So that's one barrier. We talked about, Christine, people feeling uncomfortable and not wanting to feel uncomfortable. Uh, life is meant to be good and easy, so I shouldn't feel uncomfortable. What are some other um, barriers, do you think, to the practice of lament? I think maybe context. Like, So my church is smaller, so maybe that's it's easier to do. <laughs> maybe... Yeah, I just sit in that space naturally, so maybe it's personality as well. But songs, so often people say like a lot of our songs that, you know, are common across a lot of churches um, are not very good with lament and they're not always very good at communal lament as well. Um, And that forms such a big part of most churches' idea around worship. Uh, So I think songs can maybe limit us and form us in a different direction. I think also... Um, if some people struggle that if they can't relate to a situation, they don't necessarily engage with it and won't give it the time and the space that it probably deserves. Um, Like, for example, like, I'm not Indigenous Australian and to actually understand the experience of an Indigenous Australian, I need to talk to someone who identifies in that way and listen to their story and let them grieve. And I can't relate to that story but that doesn't make it not valid. I can't relate to that story, but that doesn't make it not powerful and necessary to be told and to grieve and to lament. So I think also it's important for us to actually have our self-awareness that it's like, just because I can't relate, just because this isn't in, in like affecting me, or maybe I even represent the people that have um, caused the pain for this person. I mean, I represent white Australians, essentially. I represent the people that have caused so much pain for Indigenous Australians. And I need to acknowledge that and actually not have so much pride in myself and my own. And I need to change that and listen to people. Lament is often intertwined with anger. So I think sometimes you can be okay with grief. Um, And this is something I've been reflecting on a lot. um, But anger feels even more uncomfortable than grief. And particularly as a woman, being seen to be an angry woman (laughs) is not a good look. Um, So I think we, yeah, that's another actually a big block. What does it look like to hear anger? Because often, like in the example that you'd give, it's not just grief. There's also anger when there's injustice. And that, that's also what makes us really uncomfortable, what to do with anger, because that doesn't sound very Christian to be angry. Yeah, I, um, it, I mean, if you just think of like basic psychology, there's the five stages of grief and anger is one of them. So it's like if we're going to be grieving, people are going to go through probably angry stages where they're going to be angry at the world, at God. And Sometimes we don't like that because it's uncomfortable and it can be conflicting and you worry, oh, what are people going to think? But it's, yeah. And it can be not efficient as well, isn't it? No. <laughs> we're, we're addicted to speed. We're the microwave generation. And so yeah. to, to go through this stuff individually but also collectively, you need to slow down. Mm. Um, and I think that's so important in this space. And, and even reflecting on uh, we live in a culture that is individualistic, not collective. And so... Um, to collectively lament, I think, Emma, building on some of what you're saying, putting ourselves in someone else's shoes, why would you do that in an individualistic culture? Um, they've got you know, their own rights and they need to work that out themselves. But actually, uh, I think it would be ignorant um, and also um, not compassionate to, to recognise the collective nature of who we are as humankind 
um, more broadly, but also specifically in our families, uh, in our communities, in our local contexts. So if you guys were to ask Joe a follow-up question, what would it be? I think for me, I'd want to ask about being a woman pursuing ministry, about not getting burnt out. She mentioned sort of um, staying up with those questions and thinking about those things that you just have those burdens and stuff and how can how can I overcome that but also how can I help other women overcome that? I think that would be my biggest question. Yeah, and kind of connected, she talked about unintentional systems and my question is, are the systems we live in unintentional or are they intentional? Um, and connected, I guess, to that too, there's like obviously this is focused on women, but she did talk a little bit about the Me Too movement and some of the stuff happening in the church. And I think part of this discussion has to be around what does it mean to be a male leader? Um, so that, yeah, she gave advice to female leaders and a little bit of advice to male leaders who have some power, but in terms of yeah, Christian men and their spiritual formation, um, I think I have questions around, yeah, what does it look like to disciple and equip Christian men? Yeah, I think that's a really important conversation uh, that needs to happen in parallel, doesn't it? Because we, we do exist in community. So what does it look like to be um, forming men and women of different cultures, um, of different generations, all into the likeness of Christ. And um, we can't just make it a women thing, it's an everyone thing. Um, and that those, those conversations happen in parallel. This episode is sponsored by Baptist Financial Services. Invest with purpose. Find out more at bfs.org.au. Do you guys want to share about, uh, yeah, how what stood out to you in Joe's interview is reflected in or not reflected in your own context? So both Emma and Joe talked about like um, starting out in ministry as a woman and I resonate as well this idea that you represent all women and so there's sometimes this added pressure that you've got to go really well and I've, I've heard a lot of um, female pastors say that as well um, and that sense of pressure yeah does lead to burnout and it's really unhelpful and I love what Joe says about actually what you need whether you're female or male when you start out is just space to be able to breathe to be able to make mistakes um, and sometimes that pressure is well intentioned so even when I started out uh, as the pastor at Seaforth I feel like there's a lot of excitement um, and kind of, yeah, you're like representing all women because there's now another uh, senior pastor. But that is a lot of pressure because I'm like, this is my first time doing this. And so my main prayer was like, please let me not kill this church because <laughs> uh, that's going to look so bad um, I don't know, for all other women. And that's just a really unhelpful um, pressure to have. So I resonated with that. On the flip side now, though, um, I also recognise that I'm not starting out anymore. So I recognise I actually do have power. Um, so when she was talking about, you know, male leaders, gather your team and talk about it, I'm like, actually, that's me. I'm the leader. So my job is to be um, yeah, having conversations with other people and sharing my power. So where I have opportunity to be mentoring um, younger upcoming female um, pastors or giving them opportunities to preach like what what does it look like for me to use my power um, 
yeah, it's not just about anymore male leaders giving me opportunities. I actually have had that and I've been, I've had those opportunities, but now it's like, oh, I'm in this space, so I can do that. So what am I going to do with the power that I have? I think for me, it comes into that representation again, um, that sort of need to have women up the front. I think seeing a lack of that, just even just for myself growing up now, I'm part of a generation that haven't had as many um, female role models, well, not as past generations, but just not as many female role models that are necessary, I think, for within the church. Um, I think it's actually built a lot of subconscious sort of things in both men and women that actually have you subconsciously looking to men for leadership and um, you just, when there's a new role, you just instantly go to some man that's um, showing things even though there might be a woman that actually might be able to also fill that role that might, I mean, yeah, might be able to feel it even better who knows but um I think there's like a lot of subconscious things just by you get so used to hearing from men up the front then you just expect men up the front and it just and it can even just colloquially um in conversation and stuff I see impacts and stuff I mean just at bible college and stuff I would see so many times with men my age sort of like if I was talking about anything theological I would have to pretty much just reference myself in conversation and quote usually male scholars or male lecturers to be able to have credibility in the conversation I'd feel and I didn't see that with the men that I was in conversations with and I'd have to um so often when it came to egalitarian complementarianism people love to point out that oh but you have bias because you're a woman like I'm not aware that I'm a woman and it's just like cool I'm aware of my experiences as well and it just it gets I've I guess I've gotten a bit sick of being another eye roll when I stand up for my own gender and I think it's a more of now a subconscious thing that's happening because if you asked boys my age um being in my 20s and stuff there's a lot of men that would appear really aggressive and stuff but conversationally when it comes to actioning it it's not there that's really helpful, guys. Thank you. Emma, do you have any tips on how guys, not just your age, more yeah. broadly could get there? Um, it's about actually acknowledging that you're not doing it perfectly probably and actually be humble enough to actually try and acknowledge that you might have a place to grow because some people just assume that they're already in the right just because they're on the right opinion in their opinion. Um, they always think that they're in the right, but it's actually just about listening, listening empathetically, listen with an open mind. Don't, as Joe said, like don't jump in and defend them. If someone says like, oh, I've had this really awful experience with this person and it seems really like pointed and I think my gender like relates to it. Don't just go, oh, but they mean well. Because the thing is, yeah, they meant well, but their actions still hurt that person and that person still needs to grieve. And also just with conversations, I feel like empathy has been taken out of a lot of conversations that I've had around um, women in ministry, I find. Like they think it's this trivial theological thing that they just want to be right in. But for me, it's, it's what I'm pursuing. It's my life. Um, if you guys could suggest a next step for someone wanting to explore any of the topics that we've touched on further, what would that be? Uh, if you are, I guess it depends what your context is. So if you are a woman um, who 
is wanting to explore pastoral ministry, I'd really encourage you to connect with other female pastors. There is a really good support network. Um, We did used to have pastoral retreat groups, which has kind of died out, but there's talk of um, resurrecting them. But that has been really helpful. Very biblical of you. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think to know that you're not alone um, is really important. So to... If in your context you don't have people who are championing you or you feel really alone to to connect with um, the wider association, there is a lot of support. Um, As I said earlier, if you – I think all of us need to keep – well, I love reading, so I'm always saying read more, um, read more widely um, and um, examine – like all of us, I think we've been talking about have bias, um, so being willing to examine that and to have humility in that, um, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I totally agree with that. And just listening to women's stories, um, whether it's listening to women you know and who are in ministry or not in ministry, just listen to their stories and listen with an open mind. And then also, um, yeah, pursue some resources in that too. Um, I'm reading a book right now, um, Women and God's Mission, and it's a powerful book because it's just story after story about these amazing women pursuing ministry in all sorts of contexts, all sorts of cultures with all sorts of um, theological backgrounds. But in the end, it's just about the same thing of women who God is just doing powerful things through. And I think that's a really just empowering book to read. Um, Also, Fixing Her Eyes is an awesome blog that just has so many resources for um, women in ministry and people supporting women in ministry and just the stories of women. It's a great place just to start if you're looking for somewhere to start. That's great. And we'll include both of those resources on our uh, show notes for this episode. Emma, you're involved in leading the internship for the State Youth Camp. Uh, Can you share a bit about that as a pathway for all leaders? Yeah, I'd love to. So essentially what we're hoping to begin in um, 2022 is an internship that's focused around um, creating a pathway for leaders who either want to pursue ministry or find just themselves more equipped in leading young people. Um, So it's around, it's based around State Youth Camp, which is a program that we run once a year, um, just a statewide youth camp essentially for um, New South Wales and ACT. Um, so it's based around that as a point of serving, but we actually want to do it in partnership with the churches. We want to be connecting with your church. Um, we actually have something called the three-way partnership agreements that at the beginning we would sit down with your church and look at because it's we don't want to just be investing in people and then sort of sending them back into the church. We want it to be a long-term sustainable thing. It's a program where um, there would be weekly teaching. There's also lots of resources that you'll be given and just, yeah, it's got a variety of different things that um, you can engage with throughout the year as well. Um, even just events that we're already running as the Baptist Association. So yeah, I recommend it, not just because I'm helping run it and it's my job to recommend it but I just recommend it I'm excited for it I want to learn from the people that we've organized to teach I'm excited for it so yeah that's great where can people find out more about that if they're interested uh Baptist Youth Ministries website we have um all the links to everything you'd need there but we also have our own page on the State Youth Camp website as well you just need to click on SYC Internship Thank you, guys. This has been a really helpful conversation and I appreciate your time and your wisdom and your stories and the way in which God is using you in each of the fields that he has you. Thank you also for listening. Uh, You can join the conversation online through the Forming Church podcast Facebook group 
and also on Instagram. <laughs>